Welcome everyone to another episode of the Dynamic Thriving Podcast. I am your host, Mary Ann Pack, spiritual medium, author and publisher, and most of all, joy advocate, guiding you into all things life transformational. And this is the Unmuted Voices series, where we're interviewing people that have in the past found their voices muted, where it was not safe to express who they were, to use their voice, um, bringing more love and joy into the world. And now have found and are owning their voice and um, how they're doing it, what changed, what indoctrinated beliefs maybe had to shift and instill new beliefs so that they could live true to who they really are as joy in the flesh. And um, our guest today is Angel Johnstone. Welcome, Angel. I am so happy you are here with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so glad you are here. And um, she, her company, her website is confidenceiscatchy.com. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that, of course, is in the show notes for your convenience. Um, I would like to just get started. And when did you realize it was not safe for you to use your voice? And I don't just mean a physical voice. I mean, just how you express life. When was it, when did you realize it wasn't safe and you had to keep it muted? Mm. Well, probably when I was a kid, um, you know, I I had a a decent childhood, friends in the neighborhood. I I was one of those latchkey kids. You know, my parents were both working, middle-class America, all of that. So I was alone a lot and with my friends a lot. And um, when I was about 11, 12, uh, my best friend and I, um, we fell in love and we didn't know any better. We didn't know, uh, we didn't know that there was a word for that. (laughs) We didn't know anybody else who was like that. And, uh, but we just knew what we felt for each other. And we actually, in some confusion, went to our school guidance counselor and said, you know, we're not really sure what this is because it's not just friendship. And, you know, we want more than that, but we don't really know what that means. And um, within 24 hours, we were called back to her office with our parents and ripped apart from each other. Um, And she had outed us. to our parents, which was an unsafe situation for my girlfriend at the time, um, because her parents were ultra religious and uh, they threatened for us to never see each other again, never talk to each other again, which is kind of hard when you're in the same school district. (laughs) But we didn't know that at the time. We thought those threats were real. Um, And it it became really clear to me that um, obviously she had I thought, I felt at the time she had violated our trust, um, but at the time there wasn't anything to to regulate her beliefs over um, our privacy. You know, there, there wasn't anything in the rule book in 1980 to make that uh, a, a problem for her. Um, and obviously it put our families, both of our families, into a great deal of turmoil. Uh, ultimately, Um, it, I realized it wasn't safe to be honest. It wasn't that it wasn't, I wasn't safe Mm -hmm. to use my voice. I wasn't safe to be honest with my voice. And so we had to basically lie for, you know, four or five years. Um, this was freshman year of high school. So, you know, four years of high school are lying to everyone and the first year of college, um, uh, when, and she went to a religious, uh, organ, you know, institution. And so she really had to like double down on that line when she first went there. Um, and it just, it just wasn't, 
I don't think I was in any physical danger, but the emotional damage from that day and the days after that um, has greatly impacted my ability to feel trustworthy of authority in general. Right. right. Um, mm -hmm. I really was mistrusting of the psychological uh, everybody in psychology, psychiatry, like anybody in that field, mm -hmm. um, very distrustful and um, and and also distrustful even of my own parents because their reaction was not loving and joyful. It was like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. When, quite honestly, had it been handled differently by the adults in the room, um, it could have been it could have been, you know, not the traumatic experience that it was. It didn't have to be four years of lying. It didn't have to be any of that. Um, it could have just been we worked it out together and and everyone would have been better for that. But um, that's not how it went down in 1980. So for 1980, I don't know what year it was, but it was back in the 80s. So, right. yeah, but it just wasn't I couldn't be honest. I couldn't be myself. And, and therefore that you're not speaking your truth. You're not being your, your authentic self in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I know that a lot of these things are based on indoctrinated beliefs and mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a religious thing. It could be no. their indoctrinations. They're just limiting beliefs that make us play small, live small, speak small, um, and mute ourselves because it could be family, just family beliefs, mm -hmm. you know, society, your culture, so mine tended to be more on religious, you know, bound, but um, what were those, th those kinds of beliefs that, that you were taught or you took on for yourself? Cause you were talking about just not being able to, you know, live true to who you are, yeah, but there's beliefs around that, that created right. that. What were yeah. some of those? I think the two biggest things, the two, big takeaways as I look at it back now are that, um, you know, her family, it was religious. It was, mm -hmm. they had been indoctrinated to believe that that was a sin and that everything was, you know, that, that was a big problem. Um, however, uh, my family, it wasn't so much a religious thing because we weren't an ultra religious family in any way. Um, I think it was more fear. It was fear that I wasn't going to meet the expectations of a daughter um, and that my life was going to be harder than um, if I had identified a different way. Um, what's interesting is years later in college, when I realized, well, maybe I'm actually bisexual. I had to sit my mom down and my, my parents down and be like, okay, are you sitting down? Cause I'm dating a guy now and I don't want to shock you. <laughs> and so again, like, you know, I feel kind of like, you know, had I had more time and space to figure that out as a younger person, it wouldn't have had to be a shock to anybody's system. Mm -hmm. um, that, 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 um, that, you know, that would have been a natural process instead of one that was really shrouded in secrecy because they were so afraid for me. Um, and I was less afraid for myself, but again, there's a generational gap too. You know, my, mm -hmm. my parents had me when my mom was older. And so, you know, in her generation, that was like, oh, your life is over. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, it took a lot of healing through college, you know, when I finally came back out, um, as bisexual to my, both my family and, and the world, um, that it took a lot of healing to fix that, um, indoctrinated belief that, that, that was somehow going to make my life harder. Um, I don't know that it did that maybe in some places it did, but 
um, I'm certainly not upset about those hardships as much as I, you know, it's been rough to go through that. But at the same time, like I became the person I am because of those hardships. So, you know, the, the balancing act there is. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. But that definitely fear was one of the big issues. Yes. And you have to think probably even in your parents when they were young. I mean, I don't know when it became not, you know, I mean, it was illegal to be any deviant from heterosexual. Right, right. You know, so, you know, I don't even know when that would have, that law may have changed, you know, so they may have even experienced that kind of thing, seeing that, you know, that could have been what stemmed their fears. Yeah. Yeah. Even sure. Their parents sure talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that was part of it. And, and, you know, you have to give some grace that they were trying to do the best they could um, oh, for, for their daughter as well. And, and for um, it's just unfortunate that it happened in such a traumatic way. Again, kind of wish the guidance counselor kept her nose out of it. Um, and, you know, and that's, you know, what I feel now when I see these states enacting laws where, you know, you can't talk about it before, you know, a certain grade or at all in schools. And I'm like, well, that's somebody's who somebody is like you're telling them that they can't talk about who they are or who their family is. I mean, it's just it's crazy to me that we've you know, I'm 52 now and this was when I was 12, you know, like 40 years later, we haven't, right. you know, gotten it together. I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So how did having to mute your voice and again, not just voice, but your expression of life. Mm -hmm. um, how did that affect your life? Like so many of these things affect our relationships. Um, maybe the choices of what we choose for college, mm -hmm. um, you know, our finances, our work, our health, because mine was always a big health issue, you know, um, or your spirituality, you know, mm -hmm. what? Because that was a traumatic experience. It had to reflect into other areas of your life. Right. Right. Well, I definitely think that it, you know, that distrust of authority, you know, mm -hmm. and maybe that maybe in certain circumstances that's warranted, especially now. Um, but it certainly made me less, um, tr less trusting of adults, certainly mm -hmm. as I was a child uh, and less trusting that, my best interests were at heart with the people who said they were there for me. Um, right. And so it makes it hard to ask for help. Um, I know there's many times in my life I probably would have reached out or, you know, asked for some kind of assistance from people, but I and instead was, you know, ultra independent. I still am ultra independent um, and working on that, like actively working to receive, right? right. To receive help, to receive appreciation, to receive all of the things that life has to offer because I felt so disconnected from the ability to receive all those things when I was younger. Yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah, that just, that throwing up that block of protection. Right. It can't get in and it can't get out. Right, right. It's a two-way street. Not only am I not being authentic, but the, the, the world is not treating me the way my authentic would be treated because I'm not being that person. You know, so there's this... Right. It's just a wall between you and everything good right. <laughs> um, because you're trying to keep out everything bad. And so it's, it's definitely a two way mm -hmm. street and it's, it's work to 
break that wall down and to, Oh yeah. Yeah. To just consistently um, break it down. And it's funny when people say, you know, how did you get into the business of coaching confidence? And I was like, well, everyone kept telling me I was confident. Well, I realized that that confidence is a trauma response, right? Being ultra confident, putting yourself out in front is a way to, uh, to, to basically figure out who are your threats, right? Right. So if I can be out there and be confident and I immediately know who's a threat and who's an ally. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, a, again, something that I just learned how to do over time in order to assess my situation faster and to, to know where I, where I was safe and where I wasn't. Right. Yeah. So what were some of the aha moments? I mean, sometimes it's like a big boom. Here's an aha moment. I have to start owning and, and using my voice or my expression in life. And, um, and, but then other times it's just these culmination of little aha moments through life, maybe over years before, it finally dawns on you. I need to use my voice, but in a true, authentic, mm-hmm. loving, joyful way. What What were some of those ahas that you had? Well, the first I think was when I got to college and I realized that I was right all along, that the whole world is not this backwards, that, that people mm-hmm. really do can, can be accepting. Um, and so that was a big aha moment. And then I think the thing that really was a catalyst for me to use my voice and to get active and to and to get active specifically in um, LGBT issues was um, the don't ask, don't tell bill. Um, again, we're talking the eighties. So for those of you who don't know, there was a time when the government said people could join the military, but you just couldn't tell the military that you were gay hmm. uh, <laughs> and the military wouldn't ask you. And um, at that point in time on my college campus, I was the president of our um, student LGBT uh, organization and I was doing um, freshman orientation. I was speaking at freshman orientation about um, I was on their diversity panel and freshmen were coming in from all over the country. And, you know, people were looking to me for information on how do I treat my fellow students when I'm here at this school. And so that was a huge like you know thing for me. I'm basically putting myself out there as the as the um, token person on campus to come and ask, right? But um, what really got me uh, upset was you know ROTC was on campus as well, and so I felt like it was really important for me to speak out about the practices of the military under this "don't ask, don't don't tell." Um, it was damaging, and it was going to cost people their lives because again, they couldn't be authentic in a place where there's guns and war and (laughs) if you can't be yourself there, I I, like, how can you, you know, really feel safe and, and, Mm -hmm. and really feel protected by your unit. And so I did um, do some speaking about that at the time. Um, I can't say that made me super popular with everybody on campus, but you know, sometimes you still, you got to speak the truth that it's not a fair policy and that um, as a campus, if we have a policy of inclusivity, all of the groups on campus also have to have that policy of, inc- policy of inclusivity and ROTC didn't. And so there was a disconnect. Um, that doesn't mean I wanted them to be off campus. That wasn't really what I was advocating for. I was just like, mm-hmm. there's a disconnect. These two things are not like the other, right? <laughs> like they're, right. they're just... I just don't see how this is positive. So, um, so that was, that was probably the first aha moment. Like I really need to speak up about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, when we see those those disconnects, we, we, we and and I'm sure it was not. Well, you tell me. Did you feel like you were expressing it in? Um, you know, some people <clears throat> they begin to use their voice, <clears throat> but it's more of a fear state rather than a let's balance life, let's bring joy or love, let's let's you know equality. It's more of a pushing against, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a little bit, a little bit um, the way you talked about being, you know, you're just like ultra confident, you know, that initial right, using right. of your voice was probably more from a fear state, a protective state. And if I look back, yeah, I would probably say I was probably a little bit more, you know, I was, uh, how do they say, um, young and too sure of myself. <laughs> oh, gotcha. <laughs> so, you know, this is college. So, yeah, you got to, you know, you got to temper all of that, that there was yeah. a lot of, uh, a lot of growth to be had. Um, yeah. But I know I was coming from a place internally of, yes, there was fear involved, but not fear for myself, because I had no intention of joining the military, right. but more for, um, for those people that, um, hadn't had an opportunity to really discover who they were and were put in a situation where the military was the only way that they could get through school um, or to pay, you know, get on the GI bill or whatever. And so, you know, I was kind of more fearful for those people that didn't have a voice yet. Right. Yeah. A few of my guests have talked about that, that they initially started using their voice for others you know, before they ended up really using their voice for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they found themselves in social work or, you know, like mm -hmm. you volunteered as a, as a, um, a member of the community. So how did you start shifting those beliefs? How did you, what, what did you have to almost instill that was different to release those other things that, that may have been covering your voice? Well, it's funny. I don't think this is a one-time deal. Um, and I guess that's part of the <laughs> the journey well, of yeah. all of this, right? There's You might uncover your voice in one aspect and be very mm -hmm. vocal in one place and still be completely not vocal and not speaking up for yourself in other places. And, you know, I learned that there was a lot of codependency, um, again, trauma bonds and, and challenges from my childhood that had to be worked through. And those definitely were coming through in not only my, you know, my education and in college, but also when I got out of college and in the workforce, you know, I was working for what was Ameriprise. Um, back in the day, it was American Express Financial. And I was working with a woman that was very um, put off by me. <laughs> she was very conservative, wanted me to go get a tweed skirt suit. Mm. Honey, have you met me? <laughs> I am so tweet, not a tweet skirt suit girl. <laughs> and it just turned into, you know, here I am trying to offer, you know, financial products to people. Of course, my market at that point was gay and lesbian couples, because again, mm. we were at a point where there was not um, marriage equality. Um, and so I was doing financial planning with um, wonderful couples who were trying to navigate, you know, their taxes and, and, you know, if one of them passed away and this is, at, you know, after the AIDS crisis, I mean, like I was really trying to do something good in my community, my community personally. Um, and she was my manager. 
and it didn't work out so well <laughs> because she just couldn't wrap her head around she couldn't get out of her own limiting beliefs that this first of all was an incredibly profitable market from a financial perspective but also that um you know that i was moving in that direction and moving the company in that direction or particularly you know her office in that direction and it was something she just wasn't comfortable with and so she found a way to make sure i was out <laughs> right and looking back i could have probably sued them and won millions of dollars in a discrimination suit but i was 20 something and stupid and so i didn't do that um but again looking back i'm like well you know maybe that's for the best because how much of my time and my life would have been taken up by that right okay. so i didn't really use my voice to the best that i could in that situation but then you know the next situation where it smells a little bit like discrimination now I'm more likely to speak up, right? I've taken the punch. <laughs> and now I'm going to go and find a place where, you know, I am respected for my gift, which was at that point, give, bringing people together and teaching information. And that's always been my gift, bringing people together and teaching information, mm -hmm. information that isn't available to them in any other way. And so I felt like, you know, the next step for me was to continue that path and, and continue doing that in different ways. Um, and that worked out, <laughs> but you know, not without a, a couple of defeating blows there, you know, every, yeah. every battle has a few, a few losses. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were making this, this transformation, what, what did it start making available for you? Because, you know, when you start coming into your own, that opens up a totally different world. Mm. It's kind of like you said, you were out of this business, but you know, eventually I know you're moving in because I know you now. So yeah. I know what you do. <laughs> so, you know, what did that, what did that open up for you? Well, you know, it, it gave me an opportunity to really figure out like, what do I want to do next? Mm. Um, so I had left, Ameriprise. I ended up at Prudential for a while. Prudential, I, I met um, some people that were involved in network marketing. Network marketing was not new to me at that time. I had been a Cutco sales representative. Shout out to all the Cutco reps out there. Um, still the best knife set ever. Yeah. <laughs> but I, um, I had learned about another company through the guys I met at Prudential. And so as one way leads on to way, right, Robert mm -hmm. Frost, we find our way to the things that that light us up. And I was with that network marketing business for many, many years. And that was a huge opening up of my life to to personal growth books, to think and grow rich, to, you know, Dwayne, uh, Wayne Dyer. I mean, like I got so much out of my time in the uh, um, multi-level marketing industry because I just learned from some really amazing personal mm -hmm. growth people. And that's when I really feel like I came into my own, right? So I was out of school and I wasn't in the financial services industry, which as most of the people that are in that industry know, you're very tamped down. Like you have to act a certain way and be a certain way. It wasn't good for my personality. So it was probably best that I left. Uh, but then to get into multi-level marketing was really a huge eye-opener for me of opening a business, being able to own my own business. I had never really thought about that before. Mm. Um, and so I felt like that was, you know, I, I call network marketing the gateway drug to entrepreneurship. <laughs> and I think it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, it's an easy way to have your own little franchise. And then you get a taste of it. And you're like, oh, I want more. This is so much better than working a day job, right? And so um, that led me to 
just, you know, so many opportunities to own my own businesses over the years and into the lingerie party business, which led into the adult toy business, which led into what I'm doing now, which is continuing to teach women how to be confident in their body and confident with their sexual power and be able to use that in order to move their lives forward. So it's that whole progression has always, I look back at that and go, yeah, that was where exactly where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you look at it at the moment, in the moment you're like, Oh my God, this is, you know, this isn't what I expected at all. Um, right. so I guess really my, you know, the thing that I've gotten out of that is I can re I can re-choose my life at any time, right? If this isn't yes. working for me, yeah. I can start again. And I've done that multiple times, you know, financial services industry, real estate appraisal industry, tax assessment industry. I've been in all of those at the same time that I've been in the lingerie adult toy parties, now erotica bestseller, now working with women on confidence and, and now, you know, studying to be a sexologist. So mm-hmm. I think that's the beauty of life is that if it's not working, you can change it. And right. <laughs> if you don't like what you're doing. Like, okay, find another way to do something else. Exactly. Um, and, and to not be afraid of that. And so I think that's probably the big takeaway is that, you know, any, any time that it's not working, there's always another way. It's just a matter of giving mm-hmm. yourself enough space to see what that way might be. Right. Yeah. And so many times, yeah, when we get into um, entrepreneurship and that kind of thing, it seems like that that kind of industry, because everything falls on us that we start finding these books and resources like Think and Grow Rich, like um you know, you said Wayne Dyer, like um, uh, even my favorite, you know, a- Abraham Hicks, just the mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you just start growing exponentially um, and that lends itself to so much freedom. So I always say our mess is our message. So how have you taken your mess that you have transformed through and created a message? How are you, you know, bringing that good into the world? Mm-hmm. Well, what I'm doing right now, I mean, I just I just published my first erotica short mm-hmm. story book on that hit number one in Amazon on uh, in February. And that was written from a perspective of um, allowing women to see themselves in the story, not as the receiver of sexual pleasure, but actually as the one to well, I should say as a receiver instead of the one being the pleasing the other person. And so the whole idea is to allow women to see themselves, um, again, the visualization of what could my love life look like if I had a a partner that respected me and wanted me to feel pleasure, right? Because so many, so many women don't, which is a little Mm -hmm. shocking to me, but I guess it's true. Um, And so that was part of uh, my journey too, was to learn how to receive pleasure. Like I said, learning how to receive abundance after being shut down is actually a process. And sexual pleasure is no different Um, for those women who have to repress their sexuality in any way for a variety of reasons. Learning how to open that back up is is as important as any other part of their um, journey. Mm -hmm. And so I focus on that because I've gone through that multiple times in multiple ways. So that book was kind of the catalyst for me to really um, take my coaching business and um, bring it to another level, which so now I have a course online called Desire into Destiny and everything we just talked about, 
the idea of being able to remanufacture your life, to change your life from where you are to where you want to be is in that course. So it's, it's, you know, six weeks, it's not long, it's not going to take over your life, but it's enough for you to sit down and go, what do I really desire my life to look like? You know, to really just take a minute. We spend more time planning a vacation than we do planning our existence. <laughs> that doesn't make sense to me, right? So we're going to spend some time in that course and just really go into what do you want? And we start in the bedroom because that's my area of expertise right now. Um, but that's the foundation for everything else. If you can get your needs met when you're most vulnerable and you can speak in your authentic voice, when you're naked with your partner and ask for what you want, what can't you get in the rest of the world? Mm. Right. So the whole idea is to take the limits off, take the, you know, take the blinders off. What do you really desire? Map it all out, figure out how to release the shame around it. Because that's a big piece of the problem is so much shame that we have. Release that shame and learn how to communicate it in an effective way so that the universe can conspire, like they talk about in The Secret, conspire to bring those things to you, whether it be, you know, a sexually fulfilling love life or a million dollars or a new business or a new place to live or any of those things. Everything it can be manifested, but you have to have, again, that Abraham Hicks Hicks, you got, you got to have the mindset to be able to do that. And part of the mindset is you need to know what you want. Right. And so that's what I help women um, really identify. What do you want? Get really clear. Get rid of the shame about why you want it. You know, all the stories we tell ourselves about like, why do I want to be rich? Well, you know, there's, there's all, we could talk all day about the money piece too. Um, but how do you really design a life that you want to be living, not just functioning day to day, going through everything. And that course is as much for me as it is for the people who are taking it. Because how do you teach anything? You have to you have to learn it yourself. And the best way to learn it is to go through it. And so this is the same process I've used over and over and over to redefine and re-identify what I want and how to move towards it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just me teaching you how to do it again and again and again in each different area uh, of your life. So that's really... My mission right now is to get as many people to understand that they have that power. Mm -hmm. And it's not a matter of having that confidence today. It's building that confidence over time. And so that's really what I'm all about. Right. Yeah, because it's always a matter of, you know, you might get like we were talking about, you might get kind of good at one area, mm -hmm. but then your life is still layered in all those different other areas of life. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's that practice of, okay, I think I have a handle on this one. Now let's move into this area. Yeah. Let's peel back some of those layers, those right. uh, indoctrinated beliefs or whatever's covering over mm -hmm. our authentic selves and our expression. So is this course then listed on your, is, is this on your website? Is this a group course? It is a group course. It's a small group course, um, but it's also self-guided. So someone could start, you know, if we've already started with a small group, someone could start in the middle and, you know, either catch up or, you know, just continue on into the next group. Um, so it's pretty much, you know, do it at your own pace. In fact, I think one of the first modules is do not make this a project. 
<laughs> right? Because I don't know about you, but I know plenty of women who have way too much on their plate, myself included, to take on another project. And so yes. I always um, encourage people, if you need to do it in 15 minute increments while you're sitting in the car between mm -hmm. the time you drive from home from work and then the time you walk into the house, I get that. That's right. 10, that's only 10 minutes of sanity I have too, you know? So um, it's a course written by someone who is busy for other women who are busy, um, right. but who want to take some control over their lives so that either they're less busy later on, or at least the busyness feels like it's moving them in the right direction. Right. Any of us care how busy we are, as long as we feel like we're moving towards our goals. Yes. Um, we're not lazy. We're just overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. so the course was really built in in that um, in that vein for people to take it in whatever chunks of time that they can take it in, and then um, digest it as however meets their needs. But I, you know, want people to to be able to to feel like they have some control again. And I think that as a society, we really feel like we're spinning out of control. And the only thing you control is you, right? Everything mm -hmm. else is just life. Um, and so to get rain back in the control over your own destiny really mm -hmm. is what, what I'm trying to help people do. Right. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, as we're, as we're growing like that, we definitely, it's, it's a matter of creating our own sovereignty, mm -hmm. Exactly. not letting someone else rule our lives, whether we're, you know, doing it because we were taught to be people pleasers or, you know, whatever it happens to be, right. um, you know, that's not sustainable. <laughs> that's, that's, that's that overwhelm. Yep. But when we're in, when we're living more authentic, mm -hmm. like you said, it doesn't, it, the busyness is more of a flow right. from you know, there are days when I just, you, you feel like you're in the flow and you just lose track of time and, and it's just going. And, and sometimes it's, you know, I'll have so much done and I'll think, my goodness, it isn't even noon yet. Right. You know, and I'm just blow myself away. And I think, oh, that was a great morning of flow because the, the busyness didn't feel burdensome. Right. Right. That's where the release is. That's, you know, you know, like for your, your course about, you know, I love the confidence is catchy because confidence is that feeling of freedom, mm. feeling of, I do a lot around, you know, um, my why's, you know, why do I want something? Right. Because we always want something because we think we're going to feel better once we have it. Mm -hmm. That's our <laughs> reason we want something mm -hmm. and so but i go to the energy of the emotion behind it or the mm -hmm. state of being behind it so anytime i want something because it's going to make me feel good or it's going to allow me to do this or that or whatever um it's about freedom right and what does freedom feel like you know it feels like options it feels like opportunities it feels like confidence right it feels like i could do anything you know, I'm, yeah, so I love playing around with those kinds of words that express my why. Yeah. Why I want something. Yeah. And I talk, I talk with people about desire and want are two different things. You know, like they're the word that you choose to say something is important. 
Um, and so, you know, when we talk about desires, people go, oh, you know, that's a little different. That's, that has a little energy to it of, I'm not just sitting here waiting for the universe to hand it to me. Desire is like, I'm going to go get it. I, I have, mm-hmm. you know, I have some um, potency behind it. I have some movement behind it. It has an action behind it. Um, it's a drive. And that's different than, you know, I would like, I want, I want the universe to drop a million dollars in my lap. Well, yes, I still want that, but I know that's not usually how it works. So like, what am I willing to do to go get that? Um, Desire is different. There's that burning. I must move forward towards that, uh, that, that, that drives us. And so words matter. Absolutely. The words you choose tell the story really. Oh yeah. They're so energetic because we feel them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we feel the expression of that emotion. Yeah. So, so people can get a hold of you. How? Um, well, confidence is catchy is my main pro. You know, that's where everything is. All of my media. This will be up there. <laughs> everything will be up there. Um, and then there's a there's a free link actually to two things. There's um, the bottom of the header of my website. There's a couple of freebies. There's a free chapter of my book if anyone's interested in that. And there's also a free uh, workbook, which or or PDF I guess you call it of what to do when everyone disappoints you, when everything isn't working, <laughs> right? When you feel like you're the only one juggling all the balls, what do you do? And so I encourage people to go down to the to confidence is catchy, go down all the way to the bottom and grab those two freebies, get signed up. And then uh, obviously, if you want information about the De- desire into destiny course, there's a link for that as well. Awesome. Well, I sure appreciate you being my guest today. I, I just I love giving people hope that because there's so many different stories that I've already heard and we haven't even finished the year out yet with the interviews, but somebody out there, a listener is going to relate to somebody's story. Cause even though, you know, it still ends up in muting our voice and then finding our voice and expressing who we are in the world. There are, there are so many different ways that that happened, that um, the muting happened, that it's going to spark, hey, if they did this, I can too. Right. And that's what we were, that's what we're here to, to give them hope and, and um, that they know that they are love and joy embodied. And that's what this is all about. This is part of the We Are Joy series. And um, I'm so pleased that you chose to be a part of this. And um, as we pull this together at the end of the year, the uh, book anthology, Unmuted Voices, will be also available and Angel will be in one of the authors in the book. So thank you, Angel. I so appreciate you. And um, you can find our books and everything that we do on wearejoybooks.com. And I welcome you to look there or maryannpack.com. There's uh, so much that we want to give the world. Um, We don't need more knowledge. We need more integration so that we will be able to assimilate these things that, that we're releasing and installing and releasing those old beliefs and installing new and, um, and, and believing that who we are. So I, so 
Again, appreciate you, Angel. Do you have any parting words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with? Go have more fun. Life oh. is too short. <laughs> Wear a ball gown to the to the to, to anything. I mean, if you have a yes. you have a nice suit or a nice ball gown, go to the grocery store in it. Just be fun, be joyous, inspire mm. other people to laugh and have fun with you. That's what really we're all here for. Absolutely. Yes, I definitely believe we are here to experience as much joy as possible and and know everyone that you are joy looking for a way to express and find your voice, seek help, find a coach, talk to someone that will help support you. I am an avid believer in coaching. And um, if you're looking for a coach, I have a lot in my back pocket that I can share with you and you'll find the perfect coach for this time in your life and to help you unmute your voice and live in the joy that you are. So thank you, everyone. Thank you, Angel. I appreciate you. Thank you. Mm -hmm.